Good morning, good morning, Rabbi Welcome back to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is sponsored by, and this entire week, uh, and all of the classes that we are learning this week, are dedicated by the Torah Center Diamond Donors, Morris S. and Esther Levy, in memory of Stephen and Renee Levy. Also uh, sponsored by Edward Sofer, dedicated and loving memory of his parents, Ray and David Sofer, uh, David Ben Moshev and Naima, and Simcha Bat Hana, Alehema uh, Shalom. Uh, as well for the complete and, sp- and speedy refuah of Chana Bat Simafega and Eliyahu Ben, Eliyahu Shimon Mazal Fortuneh. In addition, as well, we have today's class is dedicated loving memory of Aviela Azrak's grandmother, Eva Wallerstein, Chava Bat Tova Freda for Askara, sponsored by Aviela and Albert uh, Azrak. In loving memory of Jeffrey Garson, Yaakov Ben Kohab, for his Askara, sponsored by his mother, Stella Garson. And finally, uh, in loving memory, Lunishmat Meita Bat Avraham Yitzchak, sponsored by her son Levi Baslo. And of course, the Kobru is sponsored by David E. Ash, in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. Ready, Tzadik? You want to learn some Torah? Yeah. Want to learn some Torah with it? You love Torah. Fantastic. I learned some at night. You learned some at night? Last night I did. Amazing. Like the Torah says, Vihigita Bo. Which means you should study it in the day and in the night. So if you already did the nighttime, you're good to go. You just need to do the daytime now, okay? I do it also on Shabbat. Because you're the biggest tzaddik in our whole shul. And that's why we're all all very proud of you. And one day, hopefully you'll sit in my seat, okay? Okay, inshallah. Let's begin, my friends. Um, Our parasha tells us a little bit about Moshe Rabbeinu and his children. And the pasuk uses... Uh, a very interesting language. It says as follows. And the children were born. Yitro brings Moshe's wife. Who's Moshe's wife? Tzipora. He brings Tzipora's wife and his two children. Ve'et Shnei Marea and her two sons. Asheshem Echad Gershom. The name of one of them was Gershon. Ki Amar for Yaakov said, Ger ha'iti be'eretz nochriya. I was a sojourner. I was a... Uh, uh, a guest, if you will, in a foreign land, Veshem Ayechad, and the name of the, of the one was Eliezer. Uh, why did he call him Eliezer? Ki Elohe Avi Be'ezri. For the God of my father stood at my help, Vayatzileni Mecherif Paro. And he saved me from the sword of Paro. Now, my friends, there's a couple of questions that we need to address in looking at this Pasuk and the lessons that we learn out from those questions are indeed very beautiful. The first question we have to ask is that actually the timeline doesn't really match up. Because when did God save Moshe from the sword of Paro? When did that happen? Right in the beginning, right? When Moshe saves the Jew from being killed by the Egyptian taskmaster, he kills the Rodef, the taskmaster who's gonna kill the Jewish guy. What happens, what does Paro say? Death penalty. So Paro decrees that they should chop off Moshe's head. Paro's not such a nice guy. He's, uh, he, fa- at, at, he fails at stepfathering quite hard in this uh, regard, okay? Chopping off your stepson's head, that's, that's a no-go, I think, and under any, any sort of uh, rules, okay? However, what happens later? He then gets the Midian. Please only make a berach, uh, answer, I meant this beracha, if you're listening live. So, my friends, so which comes first? 
Is Moshe first saved from the sword of Baro? Or is Moshe first a, uh, a ger, a, a, uh, a sojourner, a traveler, a foreigner? I'm an alien. I'm an illegal. Right? Is he an illegal alien in Midian first? Which one happens first? First is the sword, then is Midian. So why does he call the first child Gershon and, and the second child Eliezer? This question is asked by many commentators. Amongst them, the Hafez Chaim. Amongst them, Rav Moshe Feinstein. Many people ask this question, okay? Earlier commentators as well addressed this question. The second question we have to ask is, it seems like the Pasuk doesn't know how to count. How many kids do you have in your family? Two. Two. So which, what number are you? Five. No, what number in the family are you? Are you, one. you're the number one kid, right? Yeah. And then you have a sister. What's your sister's name? Heleni. Heleni. What number is your sister? Is she one? Two. Two. So you see we have a beautiful child over here who also knows how to count. Amazing. He's very bright. The Torah tells us the name of the first one was Gershom. And then what does it say? What, would, what should come after? Veshem Hasheni, and the name of the second one, just like Yosef just told us, is what? Is Eliezer. That's not what the Pasuk says. The Pasuk says the name of the one was Gershom, and the name of the one was Eliezer. It's a very strange language. What's going on? So my friends, I think that there's two points here that at first glance seem to be unrelated, but actually are very much tied together and connected in the message that they teach us. And what is it? And what is the message that we need to learn, that we need to understand? Listen carefully. Rav Moshe Feinstein and uh, the Chafetz Chaim, they both write this in a little bit slightly different patterns. So I'm going to say almost like a combination of the two ideas that they, that they present, and maybe uh, you'll see uh, what you think about it. The answer that they give is as follows. There's many times in a person's life that a person can experience something which is very challenging to go through. And it might be a personal issue. It might be a problem uh, with family. It might be a problem with Parnassah. It might be a problem with the country that you live in and the laws that they instituting in that country. You might have all sorts of problems that you're going through in your life. Now, what happens in that moment when you see all those problems and then you're able to understand that those problems actually were really good, they were very much for your benefit. Eventually you come to it, what do you say? And you know, and it was the best thing that ever happened. You ever have that? Someone's like, you don't know, I lost my job and I had nothing to, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Happens, right? A person could turn around and they realize that that job actually, while they were very comfortable in that job, it wasn't pushing them, they weren't succeeding, they had a glass ceiling. Now that they were forced out into this terrible, into this scary, into this whatever, now they see that, that something very beautiful comes from it. So one of the answers that the rabbis present is that when Moshe is faced with the sword of Paro, it's true that God saves him. It's true that God saves him. But Moshe does not yet know whether or not that's a good thing. He doesn't yet know if being chased away from Egypt, having to leave his parents, if that means anything. So at that point, he can't call his first kid Eliezer. Thank you Hashem for helping me and saving me from the sword of Paro. He can't. Why? Because he doesn't feel it 
in truth. And I want to share an example of this. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, what do you mean? Everything Hashem does is for the best. And that's true, no doubt. However, there's a difference between knowing something is true and being able to state it with absolute fact. I'll present you an example. Kimara tells us that there was once a time when there were great Chachamim that stood up in very difficult times for Am Yisrael, two specific Chachamim, one after the next, that they realized that in Galut, and with everything going terrible for the Jewish people, they could no longer in good faith say, like we say in the Amidah, Ha'el, Ha'gadol, Ha'gibor, Ha'norah. He says, how could I say, Ha'gibor, that God is mighty? Is God's might expressed in our life? Here we are in exile, being tortured to death by these people, taken out of our land. All these things are happening to us. Right? Can I in good conscience say, Ha'gibor? Now, let me ask you, did this rabbi not realize that God's might is unmitigated, it's unchanged, whether he chooses to use it or not? I want you to imagine, you go to a gym and you see this guy who has muscles on top of his muscles, okay? Like, there's no room. You ever see people like that? Like, you ever see people like, you know what I mean, right? You ever, like, their, their, their body or their muscles, they look like, you know how... Your grandmother used to pack a suitcase. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right? There's like the suitcase. And then out of each side of the suitcase, there's like these random bulges coming out. Right? The whole suitcase falls. And when you put it on the wheels, it falls over to one side. You ever see that? Right? Some people, that's how their body looks. Right? There's like, okay, you're supposed to look like... And then there's just like, boom, over there. Like, I don't think that this is an area of muscular prominence. I don't think that this, you want to see like a thing coming out like this. Right? And the guys, uh, you know, like, like this. I've been working very long to get this, uh, you know, you just look like you have a stiff neck all the time. That's not a good look on anybody. And you worked for that, you want to tell me. I mean, I understand if you're pulling like, a, you know, a yoke with a plow, that would be a, a very good muscle to have developed. But other than that, like, I don't see why this is an important, okay? Now, the reason why I'm saying all of this is because, very simple, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu is finding himself in this terrible predicament and, and you know what? It's true, logically, he knows that that's the case but does he feel it? You see this guy, he's very muscular he's lifting weights, you're like, oh I better not start up with that guy the guy knows that he could lift 700 pounds look at him, the guy's Majnun you're right? I'm not gonna now imagine he puts the weights down now you're going to start up with him? Well, he must not be strong, he's not currently lifting weights God doesn't become non-gibor because he's not lifting weights currently. So what does the Gemara mean? That the guy, you know, that the Chacham, he decided he's not going to say gibor anymore, right? Because he, there's, you're, not, you're not seeing expressed the gibura. And this is, by the way, no, uh, it's not a sketch rabbi. This is a prophet. How can it be? And the answer is, for me and you, it would be sacrilegious to say that, you know what, I'm not saying Gibor now, I don't see him lifting weights. But they were so connected in their tefillah, and their emunah was so pure, that every word that they said, it wasn't something they were reading out of a book. It was something that was expressed fully. They felt, they believed, it was there in front of their eyes, and therefore they were able to say it. That's how they prayed. So for someone who prays like that, 
He could he, he, he couldn't he couldn't bring himself to say it. And then Gemara says, and then there was another rabbi following that that he didn't say he didn't say the next word. I got to, until until the rabbis came along and they instituted in the book. In fact, the Gemara says that's why they were called Anshe Knesset Hagedola, the men of the great assembly. Why was it called Gedola? Because they reinserted the word into the Amidah Gadol Gadol Okay. Now, why am I sharing this with you? So therefore, the answer that they're trying to give is very simple. He called the second kid Eliezer, not his first kid. You know why? Because his first kid, all he was feeling was a stranger in a faraway land. I'm banished, I'm in exile. The second kid, which is born on the way that Moshe is going back, it's on the victory tour. He's on his way back to Egypt. He's on his way to redeem the Jewish people. At this point, Moshe could say, now I see, now I feel, now I can experience and understand and declare to the world that God saved me from the sword of Paro. And how, what a beautiful thing that was. Because look, he saved me for this purpose. Now I could see it was the best thing that ever happened to me. That's how they explain uh, these two namings and the fact that the order is backwards. My friends, I want to share... Um, the answer to the second question because I think that these two answers together teach us something unbelievable you know there's a great rabbi that used to say that um, we're learning over here an amazing lesson in chinuch in raising children it can't be that you have one son Yosef and the second kid the second kid is there's no first kid and second kid every kid is the one kid Shema Achad Tzim the second kid is also the first kid. The third kid is also the one, the one kid. There's uniqueness in every child. And in fact, when you don't treat children that way, this is the next one, this is my third, this is my fourth, then the child actually feels that. Little child syndrome, etc. And then they feel terrible about it and they don't feel appreciated or noticed or loved or acknowledged. In fact, you know where else it says this exact expression? By the lead up to the Ben Soreru More, when the father has two kids, one from the wife he loves, one from the wife he hates. Right? He says, the Pasuk over there says, the one, the one son is from the Bechor, and the one, same idea. So one way of looking at this is a lesson in Chinuch. That when you're teaching your children, every kid should feel unique. But I want to share something else on these words, ha'echad. It is not the case that every person who was saved by God recognizes that they were saved by God. It is not the case that every person who has miracles from Hashem recognizes that what they experienced was a miracle from Hashem. And not just, you don't know, I was so, oh my gosh, I was so lucky. No, you weren't lucky. You don't know, I prepared, I worked so hard for this. You did work very hard for it. But you know what? You've been working harder for it for 10 years. How come all of a sudden the same hard work produced something that it didn't produce last time? So it wasn't the hard work. It wasn't this, it wasn't this. Not every person who experiences miracles from Hashem turns that into something positive. So my friends, listen carefully. What the Pasuk says is, Moshe has two reactions, two occurrences in his life. The first one is when he is saved from the sword of Paro. But Moshe has a choice 
as to how he wants to look at that miracle. One way of looking at the miracle is, wow, God saved me from the sword of Paro. And one way of looking at the miracle is, I can't live in Egypt anymore. I can't be with my parents. I can't have anything to do with the Jewish people. So how do you choose to look at the miracles that happen? Could you imagine someone that decides he's going to go into the ocean to get out, away from the Egyptians? I always love this. The Pasuk tells us that when God took the Jews through the, through the, through the ocean, they went betochayam by yabasha on dry land. And I always wondered, why was it important for Hashem to make the seabed dry land? Why was that important? You don't want them to drown in quicksand, I understand. But was it important that God should make the soa, if they get their feet muddy, it's a problem? And the answer is, yeah. There would have been some Jews, and I think some of you know those people, <laughs> that Hashem takes them through the ocean, drowns their enemies, gets on the other side, and is like, oh, my shoes. <laughs> <sighs> now it's muddy, what am I going to do? What am I going to wipe it on? I'm in the desert, I'm just going to wipe it on more mud. There's nothing to do. I keep walking, I get more dust. It's not impossible. Forget it. 40 years, I'm going to have muddy feet. This is what I get. See, this is what happens. <laughs> There would have been people that no matter what, so Hashem says, no, 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 I already know these people. Hold on a second. If, guys, if you could just, uh, you, I just imagine all the angels of the Shamaim coming down after the sea split with like hair dryers. <laughs> you know, all the guys in Manhattan with the leaf blowers. <laughs> I just imagine the angels turning, what are we doing? And the angels like, I don't know, Hashem said we got to, the ground has to be dry for the Jews. I don't know. He thinks they're going to complain. <laughs> My friends, you could have a person who looks at a miracle of God and he says, you have a person who goes on a vacation, the most beautiful hotel, the most beautiful, everything is stunning. I was just, I mentioned this the other day in a different class. I, I, I'll, never, I'll never forget this because it's so important to me. I, w I was at a hotel in Israel and uh, in this hotel, I see a guy screaming, not, not yelling, not talking, screaming at the hotel staff with such anger and such venom, screaming, yelling. And I wasn't kind of in the zone, I was on vacation. I, I didn't want to get into it, like, you know. I see the guy yelling at the front desk, I'm like, forget it, you know. Okay, late checkout is obviously very important to this guy. I don't know what happened. Maybe they didn't deliver his luggage to his room. Maybe they didn't deliver his children to his room. I don't know what happened, right? But he's screaming bloody murder, okay. I just tell my wife, you know what, let's just go to breakfast. And I go to breakfast, three minutes later, where's the guy? Now he's screaming in breakfast. And there's a whole bunch of people surrounding him. And he's yelling at each individual member of staff. And I'm wondering, like, what could possibly make a person this angry? That he's treating the staff like animals. Okay. A little while later, the chef comes over to this man. And he brings him a bowl of porridge, of uh, oatmeal. What was he yelling about? He was yelling that the oatmeal wasn't hot enough. The whole scene, the yelling at the front desk, yelling at every member of staff at the breakfast, the oatmeal was not hot enough. I actually took a picture with a big smile on my face, and the guy in the background, as the chef presented him, like the heated up oatmeal, like, is this good? Like, the guy, and I have a picture of the guy, you know, like, the, 
Cinderella-ing it, like, you know, not Cinderella, uh, what was the name of it? Goldilocksing it, right, you know, checking if it's too warm, if it's too cold. So I'm a little bit of a wild, I'm a little bit of a crazy guy. So what did I do? After I took this picture, risked my own life, by the way, on that one. That is a very valuable picture. I stuck it into National Geographic. Uh, funniest pictures of animals. Either way, so I went, what's it called? I walked around the whole breakfast, and you know what I did? I counted how many individual items they had at this breakfast. Burekas, eggs, French toast, uh, uh, pancakes, jelly, salty cheese, cream cheese, peanut butter. I just counted every item. This kind of fruit, that kind of fruit, this kind of cake, that kind of cookie. Do you know how many things I found that they had? Individual items at this breakfast. 145. There was 145 items at the breakfast. And it's not even he was complaining that there wasn't oatmeal. He was complaining that the oatmeal was not at the desired temperature. <laughs> what kind of Neanderthal? serves oatmeal at mildly hot and not, right? You understand? Here's a guy who has everything and this is what he's focused on. Moshe Rabbeinu says, when he names his children, he names his kid Gershom. I'm a sojourner. I don't belong here. You know why? You know why Moshe chooses that name first? Because not every person who sees a miracle appreciates what that miracle is for. So what does Moshe Rabbeinu do? Before he calls the miracle, Eliezer, you know what he says? He says, that miracle, you know what happened? It forced me to leave Egypt. But you know something? Ger hayiti be'eretz nochriya. I am a sojourner in a foreign land. I want you to pay close attention. Which land is Moshe Rabbeinu talking about? He's in which country right now? He's in Midian. So why didn't Moshe say, Ger hayiti be'eretz Midian? You know what the answer is, Yosef? No. Okay. The answer is that what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying was something genius. He was talking to himself. You're so upset that you're no longer in Egypt and now you're in Midian? You're so angry about that? Ger hayiti be'eretz I was a foreigner in a foreign land. I was a foreigner in Egypt. I didn't belong there. I'm a foreigner in Midian. What difference does it make that I got moved from here to here? It's true that I got used to being in Egypt, but I didn't belong in Egypt either. So I didn't belong over there. And I don't belong over here. So there's nothing to complain about. There's no downside to the miracle of God saving me. But without the declaration first of Gershom, there is no downside. Moshe can't call the child Eliezer and fully mean it. Shem ha'achat, shem ha'achat. You know why? Because it is not necessarily the case that everyone who has a miracle now goes to number two where they're thankful for it. These two things are separate. You have people who have wonderful miracles and they're grateful, and you have people who have wonderful miracles and they're very upset about it. Which one do you want to be? Let me add, 
What an antidote this is to a difficult time. You know, a person once came to the Chafetz Chaim, traveled very, very far to get to the rabbi's house. He finally gets to the famous Chafetz Chaim's house. He walks in, he sees dirt floor. Chafetz Chaim was uh, not, a very, not a wealthy man, but he also didn't value materialism at all. Just to give you an understanding, when he came to his son's house, after his son got married, the son had wallpaper on the walls. So he said to his son, I see your house is wallpapered with pages of Gemara. He looks at his father. There's no Gemara pages on the wall. This is your wallpaper. Chafetz Chaim takes his face, he gives him a caress. And he says, every dollar you had to earn to buy the wallpaper came at the expense of more learning, of more Gemara. So your house is wallpapered, son, with pages of Gemara. The Chafetz Chaim did not value material things. They didn't mean anything to him. So my friends, listen to this. Guy walks in and he sees there's no furniture. There's a broken down this, a broken down that. And he says, I don't understand. I traveled all this way to meet the great rabbi. This is what your house looks like. Where's your furniture? Where's your couch? Let's sit at your dining room table. What's going on here? And the rabbi says to him, he goes, it's a good question. He says, but sir, I could ask you the same question. Where's your furniture? The guy looks at the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, I'm traveling. I don't live here. I came all the way here just to see you. What, you think I'm going to come with my couch? While I'm just passing through, while I'm on a journey? I have my luggage and that's it. I have what I need to get to the next place and that's it. I'm not going to bring a couch with me everywhere I go so I can sit down. Chafetz Chaim says, Rohi, I'm also on a journey. I'm also just passing through. So I also don't have a couch. I also have what I need. My friends, what if we could apply that to the, the challenging moments in our life? Well, you're going through something very difficult. But you know what? What do you say? It's okay. I'm just passing through. This moment, it's not going to last forever. It's very tough right now. But we'll get through it. We'll get past it. You're in an airport. It's not so comfortable. You're on an airplane. That stupid uh, little air conditioning thing is blowing right in your face. Right? It's, you're either freezing cold, shaking, right? Or you're so hot, you're stuck to the leather seat. Right? What do you tell yourself? Oh, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. No, you know, you get on the plane, that takes you to vacation. That takes you to Eretz Israel. That takes you to this destination wedding for your best friend. That takes you to visit your, you know, your sisters, your parents. You know that you can survive the journey because the destination was worth the hassle of the travel. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I've had something beautiful in my life and it cost me dearly. It cost me my community. It cost me my family. It cost me my people. But you know what the answer to all of that is? I could focus on that God was my savior and he did miracles for me because I could remember that, you know what? Here, there. So we were in Syria, we were in Iraq, we were in Germany, we were in Russia. We're just passing through. To come back home to Israel. Whatever you're going through, that little moment of personal galut, look at it and say, I'm just passing through. It's difficult, it's challenging, but you know what? It's taking me somewhere. 
It's taking me to It's saving me from something. It's bringing me something. And Be'ezrat Hashem, hopefully, we'll get to the point where we're able to look back and see that 100%. And all of that we learn from the naming of Moshe Rabbeinu, of his two children. Amen.